So good, good morning. This is probably, uh, this is the first time I've preached at uh, St. Christopher's and um, I'm very, I'm very, uh, and um, this is part of my leader, uh, leader training. So um, uh, I've, I've been uh, very worried this week. And um, so let's pray together for the Lord's help. Loving Lord Jesus, we need your help today. We need your help to hear your word, to understand it and obey. Lord, your word abides and your footsteps guides. Who its truth believes, light and joy receives. I don't know about you. Do you, um, how about you? Do you, how do you feel at the final chapter of a story in a book or on TV or at the cinema? I don't know about you, but I feel absolutely tremendously excited because I want to know what happened, what's going to happen, how will it end, will she, will he? So here we join, so come with me and join in a spoiler alert into the biggest end of time story of all as we know it. See Jesus doesn't often say the things that we want to hear but he does need, uh, say the things that we need to hear. And no, for most people, our planet is just a never ending source of entertainment or a very hard and um, incredibly difficult uh, grinding life of pain and suffering. To others, people think it's going to be an extinction event soon or yet to others, it's going to last for another thousand million years. God, the, the um, initiator of time, tells us that there will be an end point to everything. We're all on a very bumpy journey until that end. I want to tell you oh, a little bit about our story. Uh, yeah, okay. And I want to tell you about this story and how it fits in to what Jesus said, how he wants us to understand it and what, we, what it must mean to us today. There are many, three main punchlines I have for us. But the first, the first one is this, is that this is our time of Advent, isn't it? When we consider the next time Jesus will appear. It's called, uh, this is called the second Advent. This is what we are celebrating today, the second Advent. And it's really about the second appearing. What's going to happen in the future? It appears at the very end of Jesus's teachings in Mark, uh, just before Easter week. And it arose when he didn't uh, offer this, but the disciples asked him um, and were marvelling at the great temple. If we got the picture of that on the screen, here we are. Uh, this is that we're not on the Mount of Olives and we're looking over into J Jerusalem um, and where the the, the that golden bit, which is the uh, Al-Aqsa Al Mosque, um, that's where the temple would have been. Uh, 2,000 years ago and Jesus it was prophetically preached by Jesus himself when the disciples looked across here just like this and they said oh look at that wonderful place and Jesus said that temple is going to be completely destroyed within this generation and it was in AD 70 
not only the temple but the whole of Jerusalem was was completely um, trashed and destroyed. Um, I think over a million people died. So if you think about what's happening today in our lives uh, in, in the Middle East, a huge time of destruction happened at that time. You see, it was like that in that first 24, when the sun was darkened and the moon and the stars fell from the sky. This image is worrying, isn't it? But we don't have to be scared. But this image is an image of destruction, first used by Isaiah in chapter 13 about the destruction of Babylon. And it's a, fig it's a figurative language, which means that it, is incredible, it has incredible pictures of disaster, the shakings and the heavens and the earth and everything which is turned I know, upside down. We have this sort of language, don't we, about the political language when we have um, when people talk about a political landslide, um, when somebody changes power or um, a, the bombshell of when our accounts was proclaimed bankrupt. We have this sort of ideas, don't we? In the preceding verses, we have the signs of the times which are perplexing and worrying. They are brilliantly graphic. And they are immensely powerful images, giving the nature of the judgment, the trauma and the, his appearing in the clouds with his angels in verses 26 and 27. The story is told also in the Gospel of, of um, Luke, uh, uh, Gospel of Luke and Matthew. It's in total contrast to when Christ first appeared that we're going to celebrate in a few weeks time. You see, 2,000 years ago, it was only to a few people, wasn't it? But then it's going to be to all people. He came in humble poverty, and then he will be proclaimed King of Kings and Lord of Lords in all his glory. He came in fragility and weakness, but then it will be in full power and gloriousness. These images are also the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. And in the revelation at the end, you see, it's talking about a definite, decisive day in the future. And what's he going to do? Well, he's going to gather together his people. He's going to gather his church for the first time in history. It's going to be a momentous event, then judgment. And then we will begin to live in our new resurrected bodies, we will live um, in a new heaven and a new earth. Let's put it this way. We know that there's something more to life than this, don't we? We know that life shouldn't be like this. With all the injustice that we see, where is that justice? We cry, we hear many people, not just in the church, everyone cries, where is the justice these days? And so they should because we can see the mess. We can see the heartache and the pain and the lies and the loss. But then, but then every tear will be wiped out. The healing transformation of our bodies into living our best, our best creatively. It will be beyond our imagination. Our best life will be then, but not now.
in verses 29 and 28, there is a comparison with a prophetic sign. I give me some of you can see some, some lovely figs, and um, and this is the image. It seems to be a Jesus wanted to tell us about. Um, it's often talking about real life situations in nature, and um, Israel is full of fig trees, and uh, they're they're used to celebrate all the feasts in Israel, um, and they are beautiful, brilliant, shady plants. And um, they have two harvests a year, apparently, one in spring and one in September, I think it is. They're a sign of prosperity, but they're also a sign of judgment, that when the fruit appears, it's like the fruit of the judgment. And it's like um, it's going to take place. It's like the slow train. If you can get on the next one, we're going to move on. Slow train. It's slow train. I, I, all my life I've been on trains um, and um, sometimes the trains are very slow and they take an enormous amount of time to get there and you wonder if you really will. And um, here we are. The, the train is on the track. It's heading our way. It's coming. It's taking a long time. But it's going to arrive and we will all see it when it does. It's going to happen. You see, later on, we're going to be talking about the communion, aren't we? And in our communion service, we talk about until he comes. You see, this story is about our story. In the New Testament, there are 300 um, references to this great event. It's an amazing time of hope. It gives us the hope and um it needs a careful reflection. It doesn't need, you don't need to be scared. You just need to be a bit of that reflection on this. But our question, my question to us is, our second one that we have, are you ready for this? Are you ready? Are we ready? <coughs> Do you, will you be there? Will you be there with the crowds? Do you know that song? You know, oh, when the saints go marching in, Oh, when the saints go marching in, I want to be in that number. Oh, when the saints go. Do we want to go? We want to be in that number? Yes, of course we want to. But you know, years ago when I was growing up, I thought I was a good person. I thought I was okay, I was doing all right. I didn't need God. In fact, when I was a teenager, I was given a New Testament and the next, and as soon as I could, I got down the road, I threw it down the drain because I thought the, the Bible was wrong and that uh, it was being disproved. I didn't know anything about prayer. And um, I knew people prayed, but it didn't seem to make any difference to people's lives until I went to university. I found out for myself, somebody was talking in a room. They were talking about how God had changed their lives, how prayer had been answered in their lives. I heard somebody else who was talking to me and they were saying about how people in prisons had had their lives totally changed around to murderers, people who were um, in Northern Ireland in, in the Mays prison, how they had been, uh, their lives had been totally changed around by God, that he really lived, he really died and he really rose again. It changed my life when I trusted in him. 
And once I did that, my life was not ever the same again. Will you be, with the angels gather you? We want to ask Christ to forgive us. We want to ask Christ to, to fill us with his life-giving spirit. To do business with God today. He will sort us out. It's true. I've known it in my life. I've had a lot of sorting out to do in my life. But he will do it. And keep your soul safe. Keep your soul safe. So when we come up together, take communion. Do it with a sincere heart. And he will meet you. Christians say, we don't have hope at end. But an endless hope in Christ. Our third part. Watch. I want us to watch together. That was that big warning, wasn't it, when Alison was talking about it. It seemed to be a real punchline that we need to think about this. That we have such a hope. And, but let's not have that hope taken away by all the disasters and the, the fears that the media really always project into our minds and hearts. Let's hold on tight because it's going to be a very bumpy journey. But let's hold on tight and do that together. Let's do it together, shall we? Let's cry out for justice. Cry out um, against the hatred, against the wars, against the violence, to, against the injustice to our planet, to the, the old, to the poor, to the women, to the disabled. Belonging for everything to be right. Surely it's our task, each person, as we stand, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because we know that in the Lord our labour is not in vain. As we help, encourage and look out for one another, in a practical way, we need to be ready, awake, when Christ will finally appear. Wouldn't it be embarrassing if we weren't there? If we were doing what we shouldn't do, or not doing what we ought to do, David, you should know better. Doing a job. Let's do that job. Let's proclaim Jesus as Lord. Confidently <coughs> disciple others, ready for serving the church. It's a great comfort in this hope. There is because it ends up with justice. What is it that C.S. Lewis wrote in those Narnia Chronicles? All will be right when Aslan comes in sight. <laughs> I love that phrase. As we celebrate Advent in the Old Testament, Jesus is represented 300 times and he predicted that AD 70. Shouldn't we be prepared for his return? Let's be faithful and not compromise, but open our hearts wide to see this magnificent hope. And what a hope it is. Let us open our hearts to each other and wait together in faith to those who aren't sure in him. He is surprisingly gentle and strong with us. But together, we're on a bumpy journey until then. But let's have each other's backs that we're not asleep, but awake. As all the saints believed, and as we have confident hope, based on our great and gracious promises of God, we know that 
Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Amen.